is Alexis DBF with the Precious Little Sleep Podcast, and today we're going to talk about what are realistic expectations for baby sleep. The reason why I chose this topic is it's coming up a lot. I see it in the group a lot. I get a lot of emails about it, a lot of Facebook comments, a lot of blog comments, uh, a lot on Instagram. And the challenge is, is that if people have unrealistic expectations, what ends up happening is they feel like they're failing, or they feel like their child is doing something wrong, or they think that um, things could be improved. And the answer is, possibly things could be improved. Possibly your child's just doing what's normal for their age or for their development. Um, But a lot of people are getting hung up on this, and I think it's really setting a lot of us up for failure. So the key here is we want to know what is a realistic expectation for our child by age so that we can sort of suss out how well or not well they're doing from a sleep perspective. So the first thing I was thinking about is why is it so hard to establish a clear guideline so that people can have realistic expectations. And I think it's a couple of reasons. One is there's varying um, kind of inputs that we're getting as parents that tell us what we should be doing sleep-wise. And it's really all over. It's at the baby sleep group. It's from our parents. It's from our grandparents and our neighbors and our friends. And, you know, your your neighbor's child is sleeping differently, better, worse than yours is. So it's really hard to compare. Also, most of us have a fairly small data set that we're working from, right? Like we know what our child is doing and maybe like like three other kids, right? Like so so where most people are kind of organically working with like an N equals four as our data set of like what's normal. Um, the other challenge we have is there's a lot of books out there with wildly different perspectives on what normal is. You know, one semi-popular book is called 12 Hours by 12 Weeks, which suggests your child should be sleeping 12 hours a night by 12 weeks of age. Uh, personally, my experience is that's a banana's goal. And yet there's a whole book based on that specific goal. Um, on the other hand, uh, side of the spectrum, we have Dr. Sears, who suggests that if your three-year-old wakes up to nurse three times a night, that's perfectly normal and natural and that you should continue to do so until they decide they don't want to nurse three times a night, whether that's at age three or 13. I also find that bananas. So there's these two extreme perspectives. Um, and I think, you know, I like to live... Uh, what I like to call realityville, which is <laughs> somewhere in the middle between those two. But again, we have all of these, you know, messages coming at us as parents, and we're supposed to like filter through all of this and figure out, well, what what's a realistic goal? What should my three month old should be doing? What should my three year old should be doing? Should they be napping? Should they be not napping? Should they be sleeping through the night? Should they be feeding five times a night? What's normal? So another challenge is a lot of older books, which is a lot of books, frankly, are based on outdated research. And it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just that, you know, science has moved on and some of the information that's out there in print and in libraries is a little old and dated and it doesn't reflect um, the latest and greatest from a science perspective. So anyway, all of these things combine to make it really, really challenging for parents of all ages to really know what is normal. Another thing conflating into this complexity is that all human beings, children as well, have varying sleep needs. So there is a range of what is normal. Um, I get uncomfortable because there's a lot of sort of books, communities, philosophies that have a very strict schedule and that your child should be sleeping here and not here and not there. And all of those kind of schedule-based approaches assume that there is a fixed amount of sleep and that all children of age X need that much sleep. And that's just not true. 
That's just not my opinion. That is biologically untrue. So at most ages for children, there is a three-hour swing, plus or minus three hours, that is normal for that child's age. It's a little bit wider for newborns, but once you're four months or older, there's a three-hour swing which is total, and everything within those three hour zone is totally normal. So kids at the high end are doing what's normal for them and kids at the low end are doing what's normal for them. And of course, you know, typically the children and the parents that I'm interacting with are at the low end because kids who have really high sleepers or parents who have really high sleepers aren't typically reaching out to me for help because they're too happy to bother. <laughs> so, so what are, what is a reasonable expectation for sleep by age? Well, the National Sleep Foundation did a meta study, which means they looked at all of the available research available from all different countries on the subject and came out with the following ranges. 14 to 17 hours a day for newborns, 12 to 15 hours a day for basically newborn to one, uh, 11 to 14 hours a day for kids one to two, and 10 to 13 hours a day for kids three to five. And if you think about 10 to 13 hours for like a preschool age child, what you're really looking at is kids who are napping and kids who aren't. So kids who are at 12, 13 hours a day are typically still napping. Most kids are dropping the nap in that zone, and then they're going to be more like 10, 11 hours a day, right? So that's looking at all sleep, naps, night, all combined. That's the total number. Um, the challenge we have, of course, is that kids don't have a litmus test that tell us exactly how much sleep an individual child needs. So your six-month-old isn't going to answer this question for you. You have to kind of set them up for success and then observationally kind of see what works best for them. And the good news is, is kids tell you really, really quickly what's working for them and what's not. So the signs when we're sleeping too much are pretty clear. And typically the signs when we're not sleeping enough are pretty clear. Um, too much sleep often results in lots of protesting when they're falling asleep, uh, possibly night gaps, possibly waking up too early, um, not enough sleep. We certainly see the behaviors, the cranky, the fussy, the, you know, quick to have temper tantrums, that sort of thing. Um, another reasonable expectation is that when your child is getting the sleep that they need or close to, they should be falling asleep within 15 minutes at naps and nighttime on a fairly regular basis. So you might have an off day where your child's kicking around for 30 minutes at bedtime, but typically speaking, day in, day out, naps and bedtime, they should be falling asleep around 15 minutes or less. Some fall asleep within two minutes, some take 12 minutes, but somewhere in that zone. Um, so all of these are reasonable expectations. So think again about these ranges of sleep ages. I'm sorry, I'm going to edit that out. Let's think again about the fact that there is a range of normal at all ages for sleep. So take a tale of two different six-month-olds. Six-month-old number one takes four 30-minute naps a day and sleeps from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Not awesome. Probably not a happy parent, but that is a totally normal thing for six-month-old number one to do. Six-month-old number two takes two hour-and-a-half naps a day and sleeps 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., also within biological normal ranges for a six-month-old. Certainly, the parent of six-month-old number two is a lot happier about things, but both kids are probably doing what is natural, normal, and healthy for that individual child. And hence, you can see where people get hung up on sleep expectations because the parent of baby number one is looking at the parent of baby number two and feeling like they're doing something wrong and they need to figure out the magic sequence of events that's going to help their child sleep like the other child. And that may just be impossible. So 
Big picture here, I'm talking to people who hopefully most of you have read the book, The Precious Little Sleep Book, and you understand the big picture themes. The big picture themes are your job is to have an age-appropriate sleep schedule for your child. Your job is to have them sleep in a consistent place most of the time, let's say 80% of the time, right? Some car naps and stroller naps and baby wearing, but most of the time they're sleeping in the same place, and that place is a crib or a bassinet. Your child is falling asleep on their own for naps and bedtime, ideally, and you are consistent. We don't deviate. We have a pre-bedtime routine. We have a pre-nap routine. That nap routine, that bedtime routine ends in independent sleep in a you know dark room, in a crib or bassinet with white noise, and you've done all you can do to set your child up for success. So in that configuration... Here is what's typical by age. So I have that caveat. If your child is not falling asleep independently, all bets are off, right? Because then, then, we are having a, then we're on a different path. But assuming independent sleep, this is what's typical by age. So newborn, kid not falling asleep on their own, totally normal. Newborns don't. Newborns typically take a lot of time and effort to help fall asleep. And that is totally reasonable and frustrating and just part of the process. So what is normal for a newborn? It's a crapshoot. There are newborns who take naps that feel like they're 20 seconds long. There are newborns who take four-hour long naps. Um, they are The bedtime might be all over the place. It might be 8 o'clock one day, midnight the next. It's typically fairly late, but not always. There are newborns going to bed at 6 p.m. There are newborns who are still hanging out with mom and dad at midnight. Um, newborns cry a lot. The average is three hours a day, which when you think about it is overwhelming. It feels like newborns are crying all the time because they kind of are. Um, sometimes for newborns, getting a baby to fall asleep is a Herculean effort requiring, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes of bouncing on a yoga ball. Um, a lot of parents fall in what I call the pattern of human mattressing. Your child only sleeps on you or human pacifier syndrome, which means they only sleep latched on, which is technically worse because at least the human mattressing can be, you know, shared by multiple parents, relatives, and friends, uh, human pacifying typically has one and only one parent who can provide that service. So all of these things are normal. There are easy newborns who, you know, will fall asleep on their own when you put them down momentarily to use the bathroom. Um, so all of these things are normal. Uh, we know from studies that about 30% of newborns are really intense. And all of the things you've seen written about fussy babies, colicky babies, high needs babies, all of that describes about 30% of newborns. And that's not a punishment for something you did in a past life. That's just how some newborns are. And it's really hard. Uh, there are uh, alternately an additional 30% of babies who are really easy and the newborn phase is super smooth and they just sleep wherever and nurse and feed and, you know, it's no big deal. And uh, again, I don't typically interact with the parents of the easy babies because they're too busy off being happy and chill to connect with me. I typically am talking to the 30% of more intense kids who it's a bit of a struggle. But again, wide range of normal. What is also normal is your newborn does not have a well-developed circadian rhythm, which means they do not have a day and a night. They are napping 24 hours around the clock. And I think this is a piece of information that all parents should have before giving birth because it was a shock to me. I think it was a shock to a lot of people when you come home with this little nugget and they are wide awake for two, three hours in the middle of the night. And I thought this was a crisis and a problem. And no, 
That's normal. They do not have a night and they do not have a day. They are napping round the clock, which means you're going to have huge gaps in the middle of the night where they are just wide awake and they're going to take freakishly long naps during the day. It can take up to two months for the circadian rhythm to fully develop where you have a well-established night and a well-established day where they nap during the day and have longer, not long, longer uninterrupted stretches at night. So the first three months is kind of tricky. It's not a lot of fun. Uh, What's normal is basically anything you can possibly imagine. So from three to six months, things should be less chaotic. Not perfect, but less chaotic. By three to six months, you should have a predictable and consistent bedtime. It should not be a total mystery. It might float around a little bit based on naps, but it shouldn't swing wildly. If your bedtime is still like a two-hour zone by three months, it's time to kind of dial that in and start managing things so that you're aiming for a consistent bedtime. Most three to six-month-olds are still eating two times a night, but some are done. Some are done eating at night. Sometimes they're eating three. Again, if you're at that high zone and you're close to six months, you could choose to night wean. There's not a biological reason to feed a six-month-old three times a night, typically, as long as everybody's growing and thriving. But again, that's a personal choice. If in this zone they are not waking at the same time every morning, and when I say same time, I mean ish, 6, 6.30, 30-minute zone, if their morning wake-up time is still wildly inconsistent, it's probably time to kind of maybe dial that in a little bit and just pick a morning set time. Like we're up at 6.30. We don't let them sleep past 6.30 because we're trying to regulate by having some consistency in our morning wake up, which is how we then get to a consistent bedtime. And all of these things are important. This is part of that consistency mantra. So that is kind of normal. Um, Naps might still be short. There are plenty of six-month-olds who are still taking 30-minute naps, and it is frustrating. And again, your friend and your neighbor, their kid takes two-hour naps, and you're like, how did I miss the two-hour nap train? Again, wide range of normal. And connecting sleep cycles during the day is a lot harder than it is to connect sleep cycles at night. Sleep drive is a lot dinkier at nap time, so as frustrating as it is, 30-minute naps at six months are not a crisis. It's a bummer but not a crisis. Again, all of this is assuming that we're working towards independent sleep. So three to six months is independent sleep time. Zero to three months, yeah, if it happens, it happens, but it's not a crisis. Three to six months is go time. So really, um, again, all of these normative things that I'm talking about are assuming that you are at or near to independent sleep in the three to six month zone. So let's assume that's happening. Great. We've achieved independent sleep. We've got great sleep hygiene. We are rocking the sleep schedule. Six to 12 months, naps should become more predictable. Now, that doesn't mean like you can set your clock by them, but they should not be a total and utter mystery. Typically, the first nap that gets longer is the first, the early nap. So the 8 a.m., 9 a.m. nap tends to be the longest of the day. Not always, tends to be the first nap that becomes long. So if you are one of those unlucky, you know, 30-minute nap, six-month-olds, six, seven, eight, nine months is when we start start to see at least one of those naps to get a little longer, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Often it's the first nap of the day. Again, maybe not. A normal nap could be anywhere between one to two hours. So a 50-minute nap, yeah, it's on the short side, but it's within the zone of normal. Two-hour nap, yeah, not that common, but you're lucky. Awesome. Enjoy that two-hour nap. Um, a range of normal, you know, you're not going to see naps typically longer than two hours. And anything shorter than 50 minutes by 6 to 12 months, if you're falling asleep on your own, is a little bit unusual. 
So something that you might want to think, what could we do to maybe help boost this a little bit? Organically during this 12, sorry, six to 12 zone, organically, you tend to move to a by the clock schedule. Now, this is a topic that gets a lot of discussion and is a whole different podcast, but that tends to happen organically. If you're waking up at the same time every day and you have an age appropriate, consistent wake time, nap number one is going to, on its own, be a by the clock nap. If it tends to be the same duration every day, then by definition, nap number two will be by the clock. So, That's not really something that you have to aim for. That's not like you get a gold star if you have this great by-the-clock nap schedule, but it is kind of helpful from just a life management perspective. If we know what time naps are happening, it's easier to give other child care providers good guidance. It's easier to plan appointments, parties, events. It just kind of makes life a little bit smoother, which is something that most parents of babies are really looking forward to. Um, By 6 to 12 months, it is totally an option to fully night wean. Now, I'm not saying you have to, uh, but it's certainly something that is good for us as parents. So as a minimum goal for us, six hours of uninterrupted sleep is the baseline for human functioning, the baseline. So at this age, if you are not getting six hours of uninterrupted sleep, I think it's a great time to look at, okay, what are we doing to work towards that as a goal? How do we make that happen? Now, you know, some people might want to continue to night feed for a variety of reasons, which I fully support. You might be concerned about nursing and supply issues. You might be a working parent who doesn't have as many opportunities to nurse as you might like. You might have, you know, concerns about your child's growth, which if your pediatrician agrees is cause for concern. If you want to keep some night feedings, that's great. And that's up to you. But from a child development perspective, they don't need to eat one, two, three, four times a night between six to 12 months. So I think in terms of realistic expectation, which is our theme, by six, seven, eight months, it is realistic to have a child who sleeps from bedtime until 4 or 5 a.m. for a snooze button feed. That is a realistic goal. I'm not saying that's easy to achieve, and I'm not saying that all children will get there, but it is a realistic goal. Um, I think To me, sleeping through the night really means bedtime to a snooze button. That's what I consider sleeping through the night. If you're sleeping 7, 8 o'clock till 5 in the morning, have a snooze button, wake up at 6.30, that's sleeping through the night. And nine months, totally a realistic goal. So um, let's say you've done all the right things. You've established good sleep hygiene. You have a consistent bedtime. You um, have a wonderful, consistent pre-bedtime routine with no lingering sleep associations. You have an age-appropriate nap schedule. Your child is sleeping a reasonable amount of time, just like Goldilocks, not too much, not too little. Everything is great. You've done all of the right things. Does this guarantee you sleeping through the night, wonderful naps, and no bad days? No, it doesn't. What you've done is you've set your child up for success and you've done everything you can do. But babies are human beings and human beings are variable. So another thing I see people getting really hung up on is the mysterious bad day, which could be a skipped nap or a crazy short nap or... They wouldn't fall asleep at nap time, so a two-nap day becomes a one-nap day, and they're overtired and cranky and everything's terrible, or they woke up at two in the morning for no reason, and there there was no diaper issues, but they were miserable, and they couldn't figure out what was happening. You know, all of these various options all boil down to baby had a crappy day or had a crappy couple of days, and this is my theory. My theory is that having a kid who sleeps poorly is 
And I don't say this with any sarcasm. It is a traumatic event. It is a long-term stressor. And it is such a negative experience that so many of us sort of endure that when things start to go well and we have a child who's routinely sleeping well, and then we have an off night or an off couple of nights or a bad nap day, we freak out because it sparks that fear of, I can't go back to that. What is happening? All my hard work is unraveling. I can't go back to what was happening. And our knee jerk is to freak out a little bit about these bad days. And I get it. I understand why. Because when something is so terrible, any thought that we might go back to it is like unimaginable. I can't go back to that. So we freak out a little bit. And it's easy for me to say, because my kids are older now. So my you know, scary sleep trauma is in the past, but we need to take a pause and take a deep breath and go, okay, kiddo had a crappy night. Kiddo took a crappy nap, skipped a nap. Bedtime was a production. Woke up, had a mysterious wake up, started the day at five in the morning. They normally sleep till 630. This is not a crisis. Repeat this with me. This is our mantra. This is not a crisis. This is the way of baby. This is the way of toddler. Into every life, a few bad days will fall. So what are we going to do? I'm going to stick to my plan. I'm going to stick to my confidence in my child. And I'm going to remind myself that we will weather this. A bad day or a couple of bad days does not a problem make. A problem is when that pattern, whatever the pattern is, the negative pattern that has evolved, happens consistently for a long time, which I would consider seven to 10 days is a long time. Couple of bad nights, kid got sick, you know, has the sniffles, threw up, whatever. Things happen and it is rough, but that is the way of baby. So we can kind of find our way as a collective group of parents to kind of let go of that fear and that knee-jerk gut reaction to, oh my God, what happened? My child woke up early. What is wrong? Yeah, that's just, that's just life. A pattern is seven to 10 days. And if it's happening for seven to 10 days, then we want to kind of step back and go, hmm, is something happening here? Do we have a lingering sleep association? Is there, maybe a schedule is changing. They're working towards nap dropping or Maybe it's outside of your control. Maybe they're working on some major gross developmental skill, crawling, walking. Those are big ones. Language explosions happen. Um, You know, then that might be happening as well. But understand that there is a difference between a couple of crappy dates, which is going to happen to all of us, despite all of your wonderful work, and a pattern, which is a sign of maybe something needs to happen. So realistic expectations, wide sleep needs. Totally normal to have a kid in a three-hour swing on both ends. High sleep needs, low sleep needs, and everything in the middle is normal. If you are setting your child up for success, they are falling asleep on their own. They have an age-appropriate wake times between sleep. They are falling asleep independently at bedtime. And we're working towards night weaning as they get closer to one. Typically, again, you don't have to. That is your job as a parent. Sleep hygiene and consistency, that is your job. Your child's job is to do what kids do. 
kids complain about bedtime sometimes, and they have bad nights here and there. And as they get older, they're going to, you know, yell at you when you put them down and leave because they know you're going to go out and watch TV and they're stuck in their room and you're having a good time and they're not invited to the party and they're pissed off about it. These things are all normal. It is normal to take short naps. It is normal to fight naps because who wants to take a nap? Again, you're out in the living room having a party. I know you're out there having a party and I'm stuck in here. I don't want to be in here. I want to be where you are. So protesting naps is normal. Uh, Short naps are normal up to a certain point, in which case we would want to see them lengthen or look at what are we doing to set them up for success. Um, You know, but there's a wide range of normal. And I think if we can, as a, again, as a group of parents, if we can let go of certain expectations and sort of meet our kids where they are, maybe we can actually stress a little bit less and accept our kids that they're actually probably most of us, most of our kids are actually doing pretty great. So you cannot control your child. You can't, con- you can't make a low sleeper into a high sleeper. You can't make a high sleeper into a low sleeper. And why would you want to, frankly? All of that is just outside of our control. What you can control is setting them up for success with good sleep hygiene and being consistent And trying to find your calm so that when you have those couple of bad days, which all of us are going to have, despite our best efforts, we can just roll with it and not let it throw us off our game and not let us get all stressed out and worried. And just find some peace and let go of the fear that your six, seven, eight, nine-month-old, your two-year-old, that sleep is going to blow up or completely unravel because you've established strong groundwork and have faith that if you stick with that, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. No matter what you do, you're going to have a couple of bad days here and there. That's life. At my gym, there's a sign up on the board and it says, get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And honestly, I think this applies to all aspects of life. Certainly parenting. Get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. It's going to be okay. If your child falls asleep independently, you've basically done the hard thing and the rest is going to be great. So let's accept some uh, variability in sleep needs and let's find some calm when we have those bad days and hopefully enjoy parenting a little bit more because we're a little bit less stressed. Well, thank you for listening to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. This episode, along with all of our episodes, is brought to you by the Precious Little Sleep Book, now available as an audiobook on audible.com, Amazon, and iTunes. Check it out. Mm-hmm.